This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. Wonderful to have you here today. That's not me calling you this time, right? Uh, great, great to have all you here today. And, and again, we're, we're going to look at, at a beautiful line from the Bible. And, and you know, I, I want us coming out of here today, yeah, you know, understanding stuff. But, but I, also, I also want you to, you know when you watch ballet, you see a beautiful painting, and you're not quite sure why you like it. You just look at it and go like, oh, that's cool. I hope you feel that way. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I hope today, too, that, that you can look at some of these stories and go like, oh, yeah. Hadn't seen it that way. That's kind of cool, where it leaves more of a, a sense impression, as well as, as some things to really take home and think about, as, and having that sense impression. Wow, this is, this is pretty cool stuff. So our story is from the Gospel of John. Now, for those of you who are, who are first time here or first time not, not so sure about the Christian story, so, so the, sort of the core of the Christian story is what's called four Gospels. One of them, the Gospel of John, was written by an actual disciple, so one of the 12 people who followed Jesus. So it's more of a first-hand account. It's actually my favorite book in the Bible. So I like preaching from it. And there's a beautiful part of, of this story where John talks about how Jesus sort of starts to get followers. And it's a little different, a little different than how we might go about it, a little different than how we might think, but it's beautiful. And it gives us an insight into God's mind. So that's what I want to start with here. For those of you who are, who are at home and who are following along here, this goes back to John 1. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you seek? They said, Rabbi, which means teachers, teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, he said. So they went and saw where he was staying, spent the day with him. It was about the 10th hour. Now, now that story, again, we we go through it really quickly, and we're going to sort of tease it apart because there's some beautiful, incredible wisdom in that. The first part that I find really interesting is what the reference is. So here's John the Baptist. This is not John the disciple who's writing this. This is John the Baptist, who was a famous preacher at that time. He says, Behold the Lamb of God. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. He had two of his own followers. And looking at Jesus, he walked. He said, behold, the Lamb of God. Now, that's an interesting image there. As a guy, would you rather be called a lamb or a lion? All guys answer at one time. Lion, of course. And it's interesting because Jewish culture, there was a lot of talk about the Lion of Judah. But that's not the reference here. The reference is to this. Look at this picture. The reference into this beautiful picture of the Lamb of God. Very different. Very different. That idea, too, of the Lamb of God, like, like let that sink in for a minute. It's the idea that this is a cherished one of God. This is one who God holds and protects. This is not someone to be afraid around. This is someone who calls us, listen to this, folks, who calls us to care. Care for, care about. Calls us in that caring to to a long obedience in one direction. 
Now that, I think, is just, again, fascinating. We would miss it. I mean, I'm sure you missed that the first time I read it. I've missed it for the previous 53 years that I've read it. But that's powerful. And then it goes on, and I, and I, I love this part here, you know, this line here. Jesus says, what do you seek? Some translations will be, what do you desire? Or what do you want? And the, con con uh, the idea there of want is, what do you want from life? Just imagine somebody saying that, like the first time out, right? You sit down with them and are like, okay, so tell me, what do you want from life? Isn't that interesting, too? A beautiful, very, very deep question. And then I love as well, because I think, I think the Bible is, is so filled with humor that we totally miss. And the beauty of the Bible is that, again, these are normal people. These are people who have all the challenges of all of us. There's nothing perfect in the Bible. It's just it's this ongoing conversation, very much the, the new church idea that we're always this admixture of light and dark. So I love this simple flip, right? So Jesus asked them, please say the S word there. What do you seek? And of course, they're so flummoxed, they have no idea what to answer to this big question. They ask him, where are you staying? You do realize that's a complete non sequitur. Please say yes. This question is not answered by this. And I think, again, that's where with the Bible we, we miss, like, people would have giggled over that. This was an oral tradition. You know, just imagine you saying, what do you seek? And it's like, oh, yes, Jesus, this is what I'm after in my life. But they couldn't even come up with that. It's just, okay, buddy, where are you staying? you got to love that. He also doesn't ask here with what do you seek and their answer there, where are you staying? He doesn't ask, are you happy? That's interesting to me too. Because I think that would probably be the first question we would ask. And it's not that, that, that Jesus perchance is calling us to unhappiness. He is not, though some people believe he is. Please listen carefully. The call is never to happiness. The call is to meaning. And out of meaning, we not only find happiness, we find joy. That's really important. The call is not to happiness. The call is to meaning. And it's that search for meaning. We not only find happiness, we find joy. Incredible, deep, moral joy. So I love, again, the, 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 way that this, the way that this goes. You know, we don't tackle this question, so we default to the comfort of habit. It's, it's, it, it is a, a disquieting question, so we, we don't necessarily like to go there. It was, was interesting uh, working with a, with a young couple, and I, I asked the young man, I said, well, what do you love most about her? And she's like, oh, this is so embarrassing. And and he started answering, and right away she, she jumps in with like, so Chuck, what are you doing in the mall today? Y you know, where, where it's like we, we have a hard time going there. But I'd ask us again today to, to really allow this question to sort of settle in our hearts. Like, yeah, what do you see? Because, folks, that's the call. The question is the call. Jesus does not answer the question. And neither do they. And what's most important is that the question 
gets them moving. The question gets them moving. So let's pull this all together. The two disciples don't answer the question, what do you seek, either. What they do is ask him, where are you staying? Again, a complete non sequitur. But Jesus does answer both the question, what do you seek, their question, his question coming to them, and where are you staying, their question coming this way with this statement. Come and see. A two-for-one answer. Now, as the band comes out, as the band comes out here for this middle song, as best you can, kind of marinate in that for a little bit. Marinate in that and, and, and think, again, what is Jesus asking when he tells them, come and see? And we're going to pick up the story, and I think the answer, he leaves it open. But I think he leaves it open because the answer's there to bring a smile and to bring us this wonderful sense of surprise. Amazingly beautiful music there. So that idea of, of this search for, for a new spiritual home and that, that the call from it comes from a new question, a new question, what do you seek? And then this, this beautiful line, you know, come and see. So, so it, it begs this question, right? Where was he saying? What would Jesus have invited them? Say those last three words there with me. What would Jesus have invited them to? To come and see. It doesn't spell it out. And, and, and I honestly think, folks, like, like the Bible, it's, it's so, it's so ingeniously written. You know what? And in the new church, again, we, we view it as poetic truth, not literal, that, that we're supposed to actually engage with the text and kind of see it as the text of our lives and wrestle with it and figure out the parts that really fit and figure out the parts that we struggle with. And I think it's deliberate. I think I'm going to step over here for a minute. I think it's because Jesus wants us to stand in this place. The Lord wants us to stand in this place and think, yeah, where the heck would he take them? Because he took them somewhere. We know that. And then there's a huge irony that we're going to close with on the service as well. But he took them someplace. So can I share with you where I think he took them? All right. This is where I think he took them. This picture. I think he took them to a leper colony. That's what I think. Wherever it was, it changed their lives. Wherever it was, they put it all down and they just followed. Leprosy was this horrendous disease at this time that caused disfiguration. And there were all kinds, I mean, I mean folks, like, like just, we have, we have to kind of paint the historical picture here. It was considered such a vile disease that what they literally would do, I'm going to step over here for a minute, what they literally would do would be they would create leper colonies where they would put all these people together so they couldn't infect other people. Now remember, you add into that as well an existential part of that, that, that sort of that banishment. These people were considered to have done something evil as well. It wasn't just a physical deformity, it was like, uh-oh. You did something, so God is punishing you. A transactional view of God's love, not a transformative view of God's love. I think that's where he took them. Because a couple of hints. One is, it doesn't say that Jesus took them to where he lived. Jesus, by the way, and those of you who are part of this congregation know it because I find it particularly funny, there's not one instance of Jesus inviting someone to his house for dinner. 
Jesus is constantly inviting him to other people's house for dinner. You got to love that. Yeah, I'd like to learn how to do that. And, and so I, I could imagine him doing this. And, and, and some of you have heard me preach on this before because it's, it's sort of like the sermon in a bottle. It's like if, if you're not quite sure how to get across the Christian message, there's a number of stories that sort of like, here it is in Cliff Notes form. And my friends, brothers, sisters, here it is in Cliff Notes form from Matthew. Jesus comes across somebody inflicted with leprosy. Old Testament. You've heard me preach on this before, but I think it's so important I want to come back to it again. Here comes somebody inflicted with leprosy. Now, now, if you were inflicted with leprosy, according to the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, according to the law at that time, if you were inflicted with that, you had to wear a bell and you had to scream, unclean, unclean. Didn't that just like break your heart? Just breaks. I mean, that picture makes me cry. And hearing that story makes me weep. And you know what the Bible says Jesus did? He said he touched him. We miss it. We miss it. In touching him, Jesus made himself ceremonially, according to Jewish law, unclean. And you think about the millions of words that were said in that touch of that person with leprosy. Do you see why maybe I think he took him to a leper colony? And I, I imagine Jesus walking in, and again, to use the cheers motif, I imagine everybody going, Norm! Welcoming him in to this. Listen carefully. Welcoming him in because he was the Lamb of God, not the Lion of Judah. We all have pieces of that picture in our heart. We all have those areas, and no doubt some of you are here today, and you're feeling like, I don't belong. I've done this, I've done that, I've done the other thing. I don't belong. I'm not enough. I'm broken. Nothing works. Nothing has ever worked for me. That's the very place that Jesus touches. That's the very place where the Lamb of God comes to life. And you think about it. If you're in a really hard place in life, like you're feeling just shunned, you're feeling like you don't belong, you're feeling diseased, you're feeling put apart, I certainly don't want to gather with my friends and have a big old lion show up. I want a lamb. I want a therapy dog. You know, I want something much quieter, much gentler, that's going to invite me in, and I think invite these disciples in to that voluntary disruption into the world. Now, can I go on a little theological tangent here for a second? So sometimes in Christian circles... It gets held as like Jesus was the sacrifice that atoned for all sins. From a Jewish tradition, that doesn't necessarily work because that was literally the scapegoat that was supposed to atone for all sins. It doesn't say the scapegoat of God here. And you look at the line, like you imagine folks like, like really, like 
All right, visualize with me. Can we do this? Yes, all right, take a big breath. Close your eyes. Picture yourself walking into that camp with Jesus. You see the smiles on these people's faces. And here's somebody who sees them. Somebody who touches them. Somebody who does not scream, unclean, unclean. Someone who is, in many ways, that very Lamb of God. Now imagine holding that picture in your head of just watching Jesus, the Lord, walking through that group. And now you hear the line anew later on in John where it says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Who takes away the sins of the world. Who takes away the sins of the world. Because it is God among us willing to be in the world and of the world. Not religion detached and apart, but religion in its true sense, religio, reconnecting one to another. Just hold that picture. That, my friends, is truth. Now, you can open your eyes back up. New Church, we hold that image of God. We hold that image of Jesus, Lord. We kind of put them together. And here's a beautiful passage that talks about that. That new spiritual home. And again, I want to just, before I talk about this, that new spiritual home, like, literally, I think he's saying, like, look at this leper colony, new spiritual home. Can we go back one slide? Oh, sorry. Go forward one slide. <laughs> the reciprocal partnership between the Lord and us. And, and Swedenborg's and Thought is big on this idea of reciprocity. It's a, it's a partnership that goes this way, not a partnership that goes this way. Is a mutual partnership growing out of cooperation. I'm really going to hammer that word. Could we say it just the way I said it? Cooperation. Cooperation. Two things operating. Not action and reaction. Not us here, God here, action and reaction. Like a flute in the air that flows through it. I love that because it's that idea of wind and spirit. You have to think, too, folks, like what would have been the impact there? Like that come and see, and and actually I'm going to have you folks sharing some things here in a minute. You have to think, what would the impact on them have been to to have seen that, to have seen come and see, and to see this new idea of what a church, a synagogue, a holy place is? Isn't that interesting? And to see how they handled this. Now, the Bible, again, it's an oral tradition, so sometimes they do these little plays on words that we would miss just because we read way too fast. Like, we drive too fast, we read too fast. I want you to notice the impact on the disciples, and I hope you get a chuckle out of it. I find it funny. I even made a note to chuckle, so you'll know where to give a little giggle, all right? 
So this, yeah, some people are practicing. That's good. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. So now he's ready, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? You gotta love that line. Like, you gotta be, nothing good comes out. That's the bad part of town. No way. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but raised in Nazareth. So we even had his genealogy wrong. We gotta, you gotta love that line. Nathaniel asked. Folks, get your cue. Do you get it? Come and, isn't that brilliant? Come and see. He doesn't say, like, oh, no, you're wrong. Nazareth is just fine. I mean, he's got some bad neighborhoods, but over here, no. He's just like, no, dude, come and see. I got a little leper colony I want to show you. That, that's just, that's genius theology there. Folks, it's not giving rational answers. It's inviting into an experience. Let that sink in. It's not giving a rational answer. It's inviting in to a lived experience. That's incredibly powerful. And I think that's, that's so much what the call here is. Now, I want us to have a chance to hear from each other. And I want you just to speak from your heart. Don't try to be too erudite or anything like that. Just speak from your heart. And that's with this question. Come and see. What miracle would you ask us to come and see? I don't really care what it is. We have some parents who just who just graduated a bunch of seniors. Give them a warm round of applause, by the way, folks. Or you graduated in eighth grader, or you just had a great experience at Wawa. I don't care. Like, I'm going to pass around the mic, and I'd love for you to share, yeah, you know, I, I want you to come and see this. You should have seen it. It was amazing to watch. And I want you to hear, folks, their words, and I want you to hear the wonder underneath their words, because I think that's what, that's what this story is trying to get us to, is that sense of wonder, that sense of amazement, that sense of joy in this call. What do you seek? Come and see. So if a few of you could raise your hand, I'll be racing around with the microphone here. This is a bright one. What the power of prayer can actually do for you in your physical life. Because it's, it's, um, it's amazing. It's amazing. That, that freedom of is Thanks, brother. Check. Um, our family was completely broken maybe seven years ago. And today, uh, it's really beyond my wildest dreams. The relationships between me and my husband, my husband and the kids, me and the kids, and it's definitely all God. Come and see, right? And I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure you still have those moments where you're like, actually, don't come and see that day. But, but yeah, come and see, you know, over, over here. All right, what's some other ones, folks? Just being around the passing of my mother-in-law and 
the love there. A life really well lived. Really well lived. What's another one out there, folks? Not saying anything but happy birthday. Having dinner with my children and watching them love each other. For the young adults in the audience, you have no idea how powerful that is, right? Like, like what you wouldn't give just watching your kids even pick on each other within limits, but, but just watching that. Do we have, do we have time for, for one more? One more, one more. Watching our son enjoy his daughter graduating from high school. It was just been uh, a wonderful experience because he was very hesitant to let his, his daughter go 3,000 miles away. And to see that joy has been beautiful. One other thing, it's kind of fun. We just celebrated our 51, 51st anniversary and just that we're still really happy. <laughs> That's great. And I want you folks to understand the, the, the spirit of that. I, I'm, Angela gets upset when I put people on the spot, but can I put one person on the spot here? Yeah. All right, thank you. So, so Joe is the local food critic here at New Church Live. And, and Joe, I want you to describe the best pizza in Philadelphia. All right, I got to give you the microphone. You got to describe the best pizza in Philadelphia. Pizza's not my thing. Well, whatever your thing is, Joe, like tell us the best restaurant going. Personally, our favorite uh, little meal is the grilled octopus at Dimitri's on 3rd and Catherine. <laughs> One of a hundred restaurants that we love and enjoy, but the grilled octopus there is so delectable, and it, it, uh, it's charred, and it's just, it oozes goodness. <laughs> you could eat it every day. <laughs> Give him a round of applause, folks. Joe never disappoints with food. You know, one of these days I'm going to try to stump him and ask him, like, Joe, what's the best toast in Philadelphia? And he'll have a great answer. Folks, like, I I think, like, I wanted to close with Joe saying that because that's the spirit we're being called to. Like, that's it. It wasn't, come and see. You know, it was like, come and see. Come and see. We have to ask that question and we're allowed God to ask it of us. What do we seek? We have to as well be able to, to live, to, to live, to really pull together and live into the answer. What does that look like to live into answers in our lives? To come and see. To take time as well to be able to reflect back, to be able to reflect back on how beautiful it is watching our adult children just love each other. How beautiful it is to see, to see a family just, just healed and you just know it was, it was just God doing God's thing. Marriages, graduations, you know, the whole thing. A lot I'm going to use in a couple of weeks, little foretaste. Just listen to this. Christ plays in 10,000 places. We're going to use that as a full sermon coming up in about a month. Christ plays in 10,000 places. To close, my dear friends, as we go into the summer here, as we start moving our lives forward, let's do this. 
Let's strain forward towards the miracle. It's a strain. All of our lives are going to be filled with a thousand and one things that say, you know, that whole question, come and see, don't got time for it, bills are more important, I'm worried, I don't have time to even think. All those things will be saying like, no, you can't even ask the question. As a church, we're asking the question. What do you seek? Strain towards that answer. Strain beyond your ego and your worries and your concerns and your this and your that. Strain towards the answer. Because as we strain towards the answer, God does this. He blesses our intention. And guess what we find? A miracle. A miracle. That's all I got. Amen. (laughs) So, Please join me in a prayer here, folks, as we close today's service. So, Lord, thank you for your presence here among us today. And, Lord, help us again to to, to wrestle as we look at this new spiritual home that we ask a new question. And we hear a new question. We live into a new question. That idea of what do we seek? What are we after? What are we trying to find? And Lord, let us hear from you that beautiful answer. Lord, that answer is so beautiful. And let us picture it with a smile. Come and see. Come and see the Lamb of God who delivers us from the sins of the world and does that in this way, this way of love and connection and grace and movement hope and peace and joy. What do you seek? My friends, brothers and sisters, come and see. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv.